Hello, this is Joe with Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh! Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. This is the show that talks about all things that are important to the world of barbecue and grilling. This show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard on your Tuesday evenings of live fire fun and frivolity show. If you missed the special exclusive announcement show yesterday, if you've always wanted to jump in on a Tuesday, because we are now back live on Tuesday instead of doing it Wednesday the last two weeks, we are back and better than ever. Here's how you follow the show, and here's how you get in touch with the show, should you see fit. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter coming up in about 12 minutes from now. It's the second Tuesday of a month. And in that first interview segment, of course, we have the creator of the most heavily trapped barbecue grilling website on the face of the earth. We'll be joining us. Food safety, because last week we had conversations with Sam, the cooking guy, and somehow we fell into some nonsensical talk about what, what is the safer raw food to eat nonsense however i casually threw in meathead's wife mrs meathead and all of a sudden that sparked an idea in my head and i reached out to meathead after the fact and said hey here's some nonsense sam and i were talking about but since your wife is who she was for many many years before she retired recently would she have thoughts on raw food safety and which one is safer than the other, if at all? And some other stuff. Meathead would obviously have thoughts on that as well. I got some other feedback from experts in the industry that I might get to later in the show. So we'll talk about all of that. Plus, we'll get a book update from Meathead. So stay tuned for that coming up next. And then we will move to 35 past the first hour. Also, on the second Tuesday of the month in this segment, the Contributing barbecue editor to Southern Living Magazine and the person that runs his own website, robertfmoss.com. Robert Moss joins us on the show. Now, as I had mentioned previously, there was a big exclusive show yesterday announcing the 10 finalists that are now in contention for the class of the 2023 Barbecue Hall of Fame. 
We revealed those names along with first-timer to the show from the American Royal, Elizabeth Gunter. But Robert Moss sat in to give a little color and background to the names because Elizabeth is new to the whole scene here, so she wasn't going to have that type of experience and breadth of knowledge at this point. But Robert sat in and made sure that all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed as it relates to the information from all the 10 nominees or 10 finalists, I should say. Uh, they are all, I guess, nominees at this point, and uh, they are now sent out. You know what? Forgo all that. We'll recap everything with Robert as we get to his segment here tonight. We'll go over the list. We'll talk about uh, some finer points, and then we also have Brunswick Stew on the docket here this evening as well. So some Hall of Fame uh, finalist names talk in Brunswick Stew. That'll close the first hour, and then we'll move to the second hour. One of the rising stars and smartest men in the live fire industry who has started to recur on the show frequently. The founder of Combustion Inc., Chris Young, will join us. Chris is also producing a fairly prolific YouTube channel. I think it has towards 80,000 subscribers, which is pretty good for being a fairly new channel. And he's done a few videos that I would like to talk to him a little bit more in depth about. One, of course is the tempering of meat before you cook it. And then following that up is the topic that I thought was dead and gone, but it has been revived once more, kind of. The searing seal in the juices. Are we going to have to look to perhaps redefine that thought or polish it off a little bit and redefine it? Find out at 1014 this evening in the second hour with Chris Young from Combustion Inc., We'll also get an update on business end of his as well over at Combustion. And then closing out the show, making his second of four appearances here on the Barbecue Central Show, as he is the star of the 2023 Barbecue Central Show podumentary as we look at barbecue food trailers, the popularity of people getting into them as businesses. And I will be joined by the owner-operator of Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue, Joe Martinez. And we'll talk about day one of open, selling that first pound or first ribs of barbecue and out for those first three months. So the first quarter of his operating season, we will get into. Uh, Joe has been in operation for about seven months, so we're going to take a look back at those first three. And uh, then we will catch up, or we'll try and catch up by the end of the year, maybe that third visit. We'll get to present day. But this is a good background for those of you thinking that the summertime is going to be the portion of the year where you're really going to put the rubber to the road and get into this barbecue trailer business that you've been hearing so much about, especially on this show for the last two years. So the show laying out Meathead Robert Moss, first hour, Chris Young from Combustion Inc., Joe Martinez from Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue in the second hour. You can follow me socially, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat at BBQ Central Show, and we say good evening to those of you watching through one of our video streaming platforms, Facebook or Twitch, slash BBQ Central Show. You can, of course, watch on YouTube as well. And guess what? We have a new YouTube poll question of the week. And it goes a little something like this. Have you ever had potted meat on the heels of our conversation? We'll say I'm the cooking guy in our bit that was devised by Ron Hatt and ChatGPT. The real question tonight is, have you ever had potted meat? And currently, 88% of you are saying no. You've never had it. And 12% of you are saying, indeed, you have had potted meat. So we'll go ahead and ask all our guests here this evening. 
and we'll keep that running update for you as the show progresses. So let's start here this evening, and it is with great excitement and great pride that I am here to tell you that the new, new Barbecue Central Show website is launched live and available across the globe. It was officially launched this past Friday, and we've been making some small tweaks, adjustments. To say that this is an upgrade over the last new website from earlier this year would be the understatement of 2023. And if you don't mind, we can go ahead and take a look at it in case you're just tuning in here watching on video and you haven't seen it. You will notice right off the bat, it is much different, much more attractive. You have the nice logo at the top. You have some very easy navigation here just below the logo. And then you have a nice hero section. So I've put together what I would call a sizzle reel of some guests that I have had here on the show. There's no sound here, but it just gives you the aesthetic that this is indeed a professional show, a production. You can subscribe to the show right here. And all the way through that main page, we have calls to actions, ways to subscribe, all the way down here, the most infamous animation ever to grace, the Barbecue Central Show, Meathead and I talking about how grilled pineapple is the best thing to come off a grill. Just a taste of what you might listen to or find here on the show. And we have a section for the current show sponsors. Those are all linkable to everybody's website. Then you have a quick nav on some of the highlights, either about the show, past episodes. You can also subscribe to the show. And uh, that's how the homepage works. And then if you run all the way back to the top, you have a little bit more information here about the show. Hey, here's a current view of what I'm looking at during the course of the show. And again, you can click uh, here and go right to past shows if you want. You can listen there. Uh, that takes you to my media host, Blueberry, a little bit about the show, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm able to go and change the text, change pictures. Uh, again, another subscribe button right here. You can also subscribe right here on the podcast uh, page and use a bunch of these different operations if you would like. So way more user-friendly. And I have to say this. If you are in the market for upgrading or launching a website, I'm here to give my full recommendation and endorsement. You know what? I want a second. I'm here to give my full recommendation and endorsement uh, to a company called Jotful, J-O-T-T-F-U-L.com. I worked personally with Natalie and Larry. We had an initial call to discuss the concept, and they were able to understand what my current needs were. We worked through some pretty intense technical issues on the podcast side of things to make sure that the feed would work properly, which it does, thank goodness. And they even got the show email address and the show newsletter sign-up form working again. And the email and newsletter form have been down for months, ever since I switched to that first new website earlier in the year. It had stopped working. I didn't even know about it until somebody had emailed me through one of the social media channels and said, hey, are you just not replying back to my emails for some reason? Or do you hate me? And I, where are you sending it? To Greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Oh, well, okay. And that's when I found out that the show email was how many people's emails did I miss? Who knows? That encouraged me that we needed to jump ship immediately because I was being held hostage. So here's what you need to know. If you're in the market for a website, you want to put something together, you want to upgrade, 
These folks are great because they're professionals. It's not a WordPress architecture. This is their own uh, architecture that they have. Uh, they can give you certain access, but they are here to help. You ask them to make changes, they do it. You want them to add a page, they can do it. You want them to subtract a page, they can do it. So if you're not a website genius like me, this is very important. I can make the changes easily that I know I can make, but if I need help on the heavy lifting, they're there. They charge a monthly fee to do that. I just paid for the year in advance, and I'm done with it. And it is money well spent. Instead of being held tight, if you ever run across urban website designers, head for the hills. It's a lie. It's a scam. They'll trap you, and then once they have you in, they'll start asking for more money. You'll feel pressured. Luckily, I didn't. And then you'll be screwed. And you'll wish you would have went with somebody like Jotful. Again, uh, the website Jotful.com, J-O-T-T-F-U-L. So, uh, Natalie and Larry, thank you so much. Go to the new website, check it out, peruse around, see if you see any mistakes, whatnot. And we can certainly clean it up from there. But I'm very happy to have a new, new, that's two new websites here in 2023. And we're not even through the first half yet. But we're racing through it, I can tell you that. Very happy with the website. Very happy. All right, Meathead is ready to go. We'll get to him here in just one second. Pits and Spits has some of the best-looking, best-cooking smokers and grills on the market today. Pits and Spits offers a full family of products, including traditional offset smokers, wood pellet grills, charcoal grills, travel grills, combination pits, fire pits, and much more. Pits and Spits has been one of the only American fabrication shops that's focused on smokers and grills for almost 40 years. Why is that important? Because they're able to put an emphasis on quality and design. They can locally source materials with unmatched attention to detail, from the fully welded barrels to the heavy-gauge steel. They bring both function and beauty to life. Pits and Spits builds every product with the intention that it's going to get passed down from generation to generation. doesn't matter if you're a competition cook or if you're just a backyard griller like me. It's going to take that barbecue and grilling game to the next level. And there is a product for you. Check them out at pitsandspits.com slash Central. That's pits and spits, all spelled out. And that's a double T on the pits and the spits. Pitsandspits.com slash Central. Use promo code to check out Central for a free spice pack when you order $500 or more. That's in accessories or if you buy a cooker. And, of course, that's going to be way more than $500 if you're buying a cooker. But it's a great cooker. But at checkout, don't forget the free stuff. Promo code BBQ Central, and then get that free spice pack with your order of $500 or more. Pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. That's pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. We're back with Meathead right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets. For all your pellet-driven cookers, visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. 
You can also peruse the website for further items that might lend a little smokiness to whatever it is you're cooking there on your pellet-driven cooker. The good folks over at cookingpellets.com. My first guest tonight has created the most heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling website ever. He's a best-selling author, a barbecue Hall of Famer, and a Barbecue Central Show's guest Hall of Famer racing to the hotline for his second Tuesday of the month regular segment is Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. Meathead, we have a YouTube poll question of the week that I need, need to ask you about here this evening. Have you ever tried potted meat? No, I've had pot, but not meat. Right. Well, I have to say you are in the a little more than slim majority here. 69% of voters are saying they have never had potted meat. 31% are saying that they have. Uh, it's a little closer than I thought it was going to be, but uh, I myself sit in the no category, and after being trapped on a plane two weeks ago heading back from Texas with a guy that decided to crack open a can of potted meat, only 30 minutes from landing, I said, I don't know if I'll ever be motivated to try potted meat, but that's what the YouTube Wait, poll question. isn't spam potted meat? Yeah, well, I'm seeing a bunch of stuff here in the instant chat about is spam potted meat. I think that might be some type I think of a, so. a cousin or a stepsister to potted meat. But yeah, what I yeah, saw, I've had sardines. What I saw was it like anything else, and it had a smell unlike anything else. And it was just a straight up on a what looked like a cat food can, and it said potted meat. Like spam is spam. Uh, the, those Vienna sausages are Vienna sausages. This is yeah. potted meat, and that's how it's tagged. So it was it. The name alone uh, is sticking with me for life, uh, burned into my nose and brain. But I digress. <laughs> Meathead, you're back at it, and we love to have you each and every month. And as I had mentioned to you off air, I got into somewhat of a nonsense conversation with Sam the Cooking Guy last week, and we were talking about eating raw beef. We were talking about eating raw chicken. And I said, well, gee, Sam, you know, I don't think Mrs. Meathead would even approve of the conversation that we're having, as whimsical as it is. And he said, well, who's Mrs. Meathead? And I said, well, of course, that's yeah. the lady that's married to Meathead. And he said, oh, my goodness. And he had no idea what Mrs. Meathead uh, had been up to professionally. So I schooled him, and he became a little bit more interested. So I thought we would talk a little meat safety here this evening. And uh, before we get going, I would like to ask you, how is the book? Because we're taking bets. The embedded correspondents are both betting for and against you on if the thing is actually going to happen. But where are we before we talk about food safety? I turned in the manuscript on Monday. Um, I have 90% of the photographs done. Um, the rest of them are due end of this month. Uh, it's running over 600 pages. They want a 400-page book. So my editor and I face a... Uh, a, a battle uh, trying to get it down to 400 pages and uh, it is on schedule to be out in spring 2024. How are you going to decide what gets cut? I would imagine that's like cutting one of your kids out uh, for every page. Yeah. So how do you figure what gets edited? Well, I knew I was running long, so I spent a great deal of time the last month cutting. For example, the recipe section had 15 cocktails all made with smoke and fire. And they hit the cutting room floor. All of them. 
Um, I'm going to have to put them into an ebook or something else. There just wasn't room. Um, it, it, it is. It's tough, tough. A lot of stuff in there is very uh, well, among other things, there's a big section on food safety. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that she won't uh, want to cut it. Uh, we'll, I, I've done this before. Um, any professional writer learns how important an editor is. And I know your next guest, Robert Moss, will say the same thing. Um, editors really are your friend. Amateur writers, and I have had a lot of them work for me, uh, cling to every precious word. Mm. And how dare you change a sentence or modify or cut a paragraph. Or, but um, I've worked for Lou Grant's. Um, you know, I've been a professional writer since I was 20. So uh, 54 years. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the process. We'll wrap it up. It'll be a good book. I'm very proud of it. So let's transition to a little bit of food safety talk since we're worried if that might be cut out of this book coming in 2024. Uh, the first part of the conversation that I had with Sam, we were talking about raw beef, and I mm -hmm. had talked about my newfound appreciation for carpaccio that morphed into talking about steak tartare, which then brought up the conversation mm -hmm. of the two, which one is safer to eat? And I said, to me, it makes sense that the carpaccio might be safer because it's being sliced off of, let's say, a whole muscle where... Tartare, depending on where you're getting it done, might be ground. Uh, maybe it's meat that's finely diced and you know pressed into a mold, whatever. Now you probably have the quail egg on top of that, which adds a whole another flavor of potential danger to it. But holding that off to the side before we put it on the top to eat it, between the two, is one safer to eat than the other? Well, I would agree that the whole muscle meat, the sliced meat, would be slightly safer. Let me back up for just a little bit because Please. you mentioned my wife. Um, she uh, just retired as the uh, um, chief food technology uh, 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 branch director, uh, the, the Division of Food Processing, Science, and Technology at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And she was also editor of Food Microbiology Magazine. And so... She probably knows as much about the subject as anybody, and we talk a lot about it, and uh, she has informed me. I am not the expert, uh, but uh, maybe we should have her uh, on the I show. I know a lot more than most folks. Um, with that said, let's do a little background here. Um, there, there are three serious risks to eating f food, bacteria, viruses, and parasites. Um, and bacteria are the greater risk and that we, we, we've heard of things like listeria and salmonella, um, botulinum, um, and maybe you've heard of Vibrio and of course, E. coli. Um, and they get, they, these are bacteria. Viruses are an issue, but they're not as big an issue, but they are a problem. They're harder to kill and parasites are an issue. Um, but um, particularly in seafood, um, ringworms, tapeworms, and so on, such as that. But for most everything that we're talking about here in barbecue and world, we're talking about bacteria. Um, my wife and other food scientists have a saying, heat cooking is the kill step. Um, you can kill just about every bacteria in the 160 to 165 range. 
Um, so anything raw carries a level of risk. And then the question is, what is the level of risk? Can you guess what is the riskiest food in the grocery store? I think I know this from previous conversations. It's sprouts. Say? Sprouts. Yes. Bean sprouts. Yeah. Vegetables are particularly dangerous. Lettuce. I mean, if you think about the food recalls you've heard, a lot of it is lettuce, spinach, um, because we eat them raw. And how do they get contaminated? Well, they're sitting out in the field, exposed to air, which has bacteria and other things in it. There's Tweety Bird flying overhead, Mickey Mouse running around in between the rows, Bambi, Porky Pig, Bugs Bunny. They're all running around out there, and they and including the humans that are picking that may have just used the outhouse and not washed properly. So anything raw that comes out of the field or that you eat from the grocery store is by nature riskier than something you've cooked. So the question then becomes, what is the risk? You know, I mean, first of all, the greatest risk we all face in this life is when we get into an automobile. Far greater than anything we eat. Far greater than in an airplane, even if they're eating potted meat next to you. Um, <laughs> the, the, the risk of death from f bacteria in food is fairly low, but it's there. Um, and when we start now, E. coli, for example, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of E. coli. Your body has got a whole bunch of them in them. Most of them are um, harmless. Some of them, they call them stecks, shigatoxin E. coli's. Um, they're nasty. They can really screw you up. I mean, for life. Um, um, Clostridium botulinum, botulism, it can kill you. The thing is, is there's not a lot of it running around out there. But when you go into the Italian restaurant and they put a bottle of olive oil on the table with garlic in it, the risk goes up because mm -hmm. garlic grows underground and botulism loves anaerobic or where there's no air. And there's that little garlic that may have botulism spores on it in a bottle of oil where there's no air. So there are things that we need to know about and be careful about. And among other things, when we're handling food, um, you know, uh, the, the other thing that is really good to know when you're handling food is chlorine. Chlorine is your friend. We should define, I'm sorry, I'm rambling away from your topic of the two different kinds of meats, but this background information I think is helpful. Yes. We should talk about the differenti differentiation between pasteurization and sterilization. Sterilization is a process by which everything is killed, and it's really hard to do, and it's really expensive. Pasteurization is where almost everything is killed, there's a tolerance or an allowable tiny, tiny bit that is not likely to cause harm. And that food scientists talk about the load. That is how many bad guys are on the food. Um, and th that, that really can depend on how it's been handled and so on. So pasteurization is what we do when we cook. Um, we're not sterilizing, we're pasteurizing. And you got to know out there, there's common misinformation that vinegar, alcohol, 
salt, lemon juice, freezing will pasteurize or make your food safe. None of those can kill enough bacteria to make food safe. They can hamper growth. Salt will hamper growth. It will kill some. But chlorine and heat are your friends. Chlorine and heat are the way to make food safe. Now, you don't want to take a steak and dunk it in chlorine, obviously. <laughs> but you want to use it to clean your cutting boards and your work surfaces and things you're working on. All right, so getting back to who's right and who's wrong, I say carpaccio is safer yes. to eat than steak tartare. You would agree with that? I would say that the rather than safer, the risk. I would say the risk is lower. And the reason for that is you probably know this. Your listeners probably know it, but let me just give you the quick, the quick thumbnail on this one too. Cattle have fixed hides, and they're usually brought to these um, big concentrated feeding areas where they wander around, they eat food. There's a lot of dust in the air, a lot of poop on the ground, and E. coli gets on their hide. When they're slaughtered, they're brought into the slaughterhouse and a knife goes down their um, belly and the hide is taken off and that knife can get contaminated from the uh, hide and it cut into the meat. Also, if they accidentally cut open the intestines, um, the, what's in the intestines can contaminate. It can get on the floor and get on the work surfaces. If it gets on the meat, it's not a good thing. But if it gets on the meat, it's usually on the surface. These guys, the bacteria, they're too large. Just like garlic is too large. Just like sugar is too large to get into the meat. Salt can get in because it's really tiny. But bacteria just generally cannot get beyond the little tiny cracks and crevices on the surface. So the minute you throw a steak on a hot grill, boom, 160, 165 degrees, they're gone. But when you take that steak, if it has been contaminated, and there's a good chance it has, and grind it up, now whatever was on the surface is on the inside. And so you have to cook it to 160 to 165 to kill it pure. Now, USDA says 155 for ground meat. So 155. Now, the other thing is, and we don't have time to get into this, is that it's not just temperature, but it's time and temperature. Because you can kill almost everybody at 131, not 160 to 165, but it takes hours. Yeah. It takes hours to kill them at 131. So it's it's all very very complicated. But the, be the 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 best guide that my wife and food scientists and I can share is cook it, cook it, and you got nothing to worry about. Um, I don't know, frankly what the fascination is with raw beef. It just doesn't taste all that great to me. I mean, give me a steak and let me salt and pepper it or put my meatheads rub on it and throw it on a hot grill and get the Maillard reaction on the surface. And when you cook something, you break down the, the cell walls, the, uh, the fibers, and the juices flow and the flavors are there. Raw meat doesn't have that much going for it in my world. The other argument that we had or a talk that we were having, Sam was on a recent trip to South Korea. He was dining with some top men and women in the industry, whatever that means. And he was given a, something to eat. It looked like a rose petal a design, if you will. 
and there's not a lot of English being bantered around. He had asked a couple folks who it was, but in order to not offend anybody, he just ate it. He said it tasted good, um, a little, uh, not weird, but uh, something that was a little uh, eye-catching as far as texture was concerned, but said the taste was good, ate it, and then finally it worked back around that it was raw chicken. And I said, oh, geez, I would have loved to know that in advance. I wouldn't do that. And Sam had said, well, this is the, the question I'm getting to. Is there any truth that if the chicken or the meat is held of a certain standard, even in its raw state, it's safer to eat than if it's commodities brand beef or chicken? Or less way- risky, if we should say it that way. Yeah, thank you. The, the way animals are raised, the way they're slaughtered, the way they're processed can lower the risk. Mm. Um, so I suppose it's conceivable to raise chickens under pristine anaerobic, not anaerobic, antiseptic conditions and get safer chicken meat. Among all of our meats out there in this country, chicken is among the most dangerous, mm-hmm. and it has to do the way with the way it's processed, um, and it, it, the way is it's exposed, it's dunked in water and hot water to remove the feathers and such, and that hot wa- water is easily contaminated by w- what's in their guts because they haven't been eviscerated yet when they're dunked in the hot water. Um, and that can get on the bird. So it is, th- th- which is why USDA says you cook chicken to 165. Uh, th- without going into detail, I think 160 is okay. Um, and it is a big difference in flavor between 160 and 165. Um, and USDA, I think, says 145 for beef. Well, I mean, if the steakhouse cooked all its meat to 145, they go out of business in a week because that's beyond medium. I mean, it's almost not even pink anymore. Um, 130 to 135 is what everybody likes best. But because it's solid muscle meat, it's fairly safe. Um, I've heard of raw chicken being served in Asia. Um, I wouldn't eat it personally. Um, But, um, you know, I suppose it's possible to be made safe. If you have any other questions about food safety or food recipes or you want to get a great book for Memorial Day or Mother's Day, of course, that's coming up here in less than a week, you go to AmazingRibs.com. You can also join the Pitmasters Club. And Meathead, I don't want to not say anything as it's been scrolling across the screen over the last 18 minutes, but certainly (laughs) I appreciate what you're doing there. It uh, means a lot to me, and uh, that's more than any Barbecue Hall of Fame uh, finalist list nomination would be or getting in is just knowing that folks think that. So uh, I appreciate well, our should, friendship. We Absolutely. tell the folks who, who aren't watching but listening that uh, I have a Chiron or a scroll across the bottom of my screen right now that says that Greg Rempe belongs in the Hall of Fame and, he, and it's just shocking that he wasn't even nominated <laughs> this year. The process has some weaknesses um, and, uh, you know, I really love to stay on and join Moss on that conversation. But the biggest weakness in my world, in my book, is 
the nomination process. You can't just nominate Greg Rempe and say he's great. You got to basically know his biography and his resume on that form. They ask you all kinds of stuff. And Greg, when we were, we've talked personally offline before, you've got a much richer resume than I knew about, and I've known you for years. Um, Their job should be to gather the information on you, not me to put that in there. Um, that I should just be able to put Greg Rempe, and if they get enough nominations, then they have to contact you hmm. for your curriculum vitae, your resume, your information, and then that has to be brought to the committee for discussion. Um, and I think that's the biggest weakness in the, in the system now. I don't know how I got through. <laughs> Who cares? You're through. Hall of Fame. And more importantly than that, Barbecue Central Show's guest, Hall of Famer, and that's why you see him here the second Tuesday of every month as we open the interview segments. Meathead, always appreciate it. Have a great Memorial Day, and we'll see you in June. You too, buddy. There he is. Meathead, right there. Amazingribs.com. And uh, by the way, Robert Moss is ready to rock and roll, so I'm sure he will have some feedback off of what Meathead just said. Amazingribs.com. If you care to visit, I'm sure everybody's already visited. But if your mom is somebody who's a live fire appreciator of any form or fashion and you want to give her a little bit more inside scoop aside from the book, maybe consider getting her a year-long membership to the Pitmasters Club. Why not? Amazingribs.com. Sign up for the Pitmasters Club. It's less than 25 bucks for the year. Let her get in touch with all the great backyard barbecue grilling men and women out there across the globe get inspiration that's the place to go amazingribs.com and the pitmasters club for a mother's day gift who thought about that me meathead will take 50 percent of all revenues derived from the shotgun uh mother's day marketing campaign that i just launched on your behalf that you didn't ask me to do all right uh we'll be back with robert moss contributing barbecue editor of Southern Living Magazine right after this. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And we welcome you back. We thank Meathead for joining us last segment. Amazingribs.com is his website. So check that out. And he did say, by the way, if you're keeping track on books, that the manuscript is in. So folks that were betting against Meathead, I think you've got some paying up to do. But we'll certainly keep track of that as well. My next guest, the contributing barbecue editor to Southern League Magazine, as I had just said, coming out of the break. An accomplished author, also a restaurant critic, and a regular guest here on the second Tuesday of every month. We welcome back. Robert Moss to the show, and not only welcome him back to this show, but turning in about 24 hours' time as he sat in for the 
10 finalists, Barbecue Hall of Fame, name nominations. That sounded really bad as it was coming out of my mouth, but you know what we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, before we get to any rebuttal that you might have to Meatheads on the Way Out spiel, we have to hit the YouTube poll question of the week. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is, have you ever had potted meat? Yes, I have. Yes, though. As it's delineated, potted meat on the can? Yeah, literally a yeah. can with, I don't know if it was Hormel or Armor, but it was probably 69 cents from a gas station. Yeah, that's, that, uh, that's about like, right. The obvious question would be, if you've not, have you ever been fishing? Because the only time I've ever had potted meat was uh, in a boat uh, on a lake somewhere. Were you using it as bait? No, no. It's a, you get up in the morning, you know, you head out you know, about dawn, you start drinking PBR. About seven in the morning, about ten o'clock. Pot of meat sounds pretty darn good. So, uh, and you don't need a refrigerator or anything for it. Sixty-seven so percent of the voting public of YouTube are also saying that no, they have not had uh, potted meat yet. So you are currently sitting in the firm minority of thirty-three percent saying that they have had potted meat. So, all right, you, you were listening to Meathead go uh, off a little bit on what he feels are the shortcomings of the names committee as it relates to the barbecue hall of fame. So if you have any type of rebuttal to that, I'll give you stage to offer it up. Yeah. Well, somehow he made it through the, this, this, this process. So, um, you know, something, something seems to be working. Um, the, the one rebuttal I would have is to say, um, you know, yes, we do have a form. We ask people to fill out and put information in, but it's not like that we have a committee that just reads the responses and, and is doing an essay contest. Um, you know, those are inputs. Everyone on the committee, if, if you're if you're getting through to the to the top 10 list, people already know who those those people those those people are. The uh, the nomination form, we actually slimmed it down uh, this year. It, it, fewer questions because we felt like we don't need to make people write essays. We're just trying to get some input from the from the nominees. That's the input to the process. So it's not like. Um, uh, yeah, I, I suppose you could give us a whole long list of names when we go to research. But the the fact of the matter is, most people on the committee already know who are, who these folks are. The uh, information on the form is is a chance to add some extra information, maybe think about things we didn't know. You know, make that job a little easier. But uh, you know, I, I I I don't know how to, to make that process work uh, work work any better than it does. I feel like the the challenge is there's just too darn many people who are worthy. And it's very, very hard to, to, to slim that list down to, to 10 people. I certainly don't want to speak for Meathead or put words in his mouth, but I think maybe where he was going as I simplify this is that folks would go in and vote for a name or a few names. And once the names hit whatever agreed upon benchmark uh, the names committee was, so let's say it's a 70 nominations. Uh, once that name hits 70, then it's put into a list where then the names committee would go through and start doing this research project that Meathead was talking about. So that would slim out a bunch. You'd have to get to so many before those names crossed over. And then you would have a pool of names where you would argue for nine or, or 10 to make up that list. Well, I guess the question is what, what's, what's the, what's the problem you're trying to solve is the problem that uh, there aren't, there are people who we just don't know about who aren't getting considered or is it going into the discussion? It's hard discussion. We we weigh a bunch of factors and have to make the call. So I I think the process as it is is, is pretty good. I can't think of a way to improve it. We're always interested in, in input. But um, it, the the flip side is if you start doing things like tallying how many votes people get, now you just get a you know, a campaign to get out the vote and and to use social media and everything else to get a bunch of of uh, input flooding in. 
it, it's it's I think it's it's a a more deliberative process, which I like. And being a part of the discussions, we we have a lot of discussions weighing the pros and not the pros and cons, but weighing like the accomplishments, where people are in their career, is it you know, who you get should get in before. So I, I don't think any of those tweaks would uh, in any way make those change those decisions or make those decisions easier. I think this is a matter. There's so many good people, and only only so many we can get in each year. Robert Moss joining us here on the show. RobertFMoss.com is his website. You can also follow him over on Twitter and other social media handles. So let's go ahead and recap the list of names and give any thoughts that you or I might have. You know, I didn't realize that there were, I thought there were like two uh, second time around folks that are on this list, but there actually ends up being, I believe, four that are at least two-time nominees uh, and, and maybe more actually five uh went back oh. if you look uh steve oh. grady who made it uh was uh is the fifth so byron chisholm flora Payne, donnie teal darren worth and steve grady were all on the list last year so uh five of them were on the list and then we have uh the, the, the five new folks um which is david close uh fast eddie Morin, roger mooking malcolm reed and dave raymond aka sweet baby dave when you oh, sorry, look, sweet baby, sweet baby Ray, sweet baby Ray. Of course, uh, when you look at the list, are there any names that are jumping out at you? Uh, maybe because they're at least two times on the list. If you start to look back over how the classes have gone here over the last couple of years, it seems the folks with the best odds have also seen this list uh, second time around or third time around. And then they end up crossing over, becoming a, an active member for that year's induction. Is that something that you see following suit here? Because we have now five, at least two-time nominees. Well, I think if you've made it, uh, you know, through the, the under the list twice, but didn't you didn't get picked the previous time, you're probably pretty close. We moved. Uh, actually, we used to be three people would get inducted. Now, now four people got inducted last year, so there's there's more slots. So I think it is probably telling that you know, we we had uh, you know that, that we we had nine last year inducted four that leaves five all five of them I think are back again this year because they were worthy of nomination and you know we we are we, we argued about folks and we, we you know we went up and down but ultimately those five stayed on there so I think that that is sort of that's what I, I think you see it on the baseball hall of fame as well and other things like that is people tend to get on the ballot and they have to go through a couple of years but they they finally get their their due once they're on there long enough. For the folks that didn't tune in yesterday or they're just new listeners kind of learning about the Hall of Fame, there's an open period where you nominate whoever you want. Um, those names are collected uh, and then they're argued over or, um, yeah, let's just say argued over uh, by the names committee. And then of those big pool of names, you are arriving at this pool of 10 or the 10 finalists of which now the top four vote getters off of this list. And the people voting are the current living members of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. So Meathead is going to be voting on this list along with all the other living members of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. And those top four names off of this 10 that get the most votes are going to be the ones that make up the 2023 Barbecue Hall of Fame class, correct? That's correct. Now, for the six that don't make it, they get thrown all the way back into the main hopper and they have to rise back up again to be requalified for the list, correct? Or do they stay on the uh, the 10 or the finalist nomination? No, for they, a period they, of there's no, it's not like you stay on the 10. Uh, in, in practicality, if you made it this year to the 10, you take four away, it's probably unlikely you're going to fall off unless are there a whole bunch of new people going to get swept in that 
you know, have never been nominated before that might, might knock you off. It happens every now and again. But I, I think the idea is that, you know, you sort of have the large pool of everybody getting nominated, a, a number of those bubble to the top as being the ones who are very worthy of consideration. We go through the hard work of slimming that down to 10. And I think, you know, unless um, something changes dramatically, I think it will be the, you know, once you're on that list, you're probably going to be on it the next year unless something, you know, say something unexpected happens. But we do get new people coming in each year, uh, but, you know, to, to backfill the, the the folks who were inducted. So there's there's lots of room for next year. And you basically have five years. If, if somebody nominates you and then you don't get nominated yeah, again, it's actually three years. Three years, yeah. Right. But um, to three years, yeah. You know, if if someone doesn't nominate, you know, somebody next year, we we carry the three years worth. So you you could be up for consideration for three years. If no one is no renominates, then then you're sort of out of the pool, and that's out of that out of the big pool. But if somebody renominates you on year three, you're back in for another three years. So it's just a way to you know you know slim down the pool so you aren't considering the you know dozens and dozens of people who you know who haven't been re- re-nominated for a while. When you look at the new nominees this year, Dave Close, Fast Eddie, Roger Mooking, Malcolm Reed, Dave Raymond, uh, this is just us gals talking. Is there anybody that sticks out to you as a favorite of potentially going in? No. It it, it really is hard for me to predict um, who who the because this is going to be voted on by all the uh, the past inductees. We have some new members who are inducted. Uh, some people may not vote this year, so it's hard hard to me to know who will resonate best with that larger pool uh, out there. So I think pretty much the odds are are good for almost almost everyone. And I think it just you know it, it's hard to read the tea leaves. We certainly had a hard time you know just getting down to these ten. So mm-hmm. so I think they're all very worthy. So I'll be curious to see how the uh, uh, the larger panel uh, ends up on the on the top four. Well, I'm not going to give you my voting credentials because it would blow up my fourth Tuesday of the month embedded correspondence segment this time of the year when we all take this list and then decide who we would be putting in and see how right we are because one day later uh, we'll actually do the Hall of Fame class announcements anyway. That'll be done exclusively here on the show on the 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern. So. That's uh, tying up the Hall of Fame stuff from yesterday and uh, talking about the process, all that stuff. Uh, with the remaining time, uh, and you tell me if we don't have enough, I was going to broach the subject of Brunswick stew. Um, is it worth getting into for five or six minutes, or do we need more time? Uh, well, we, I could talk for hours, but I think we could <laughs> we could hit some of the high points of Brunswick stew, particularly Brunswick stew, Low Country Boil, Georgia, Virginia. Maybe we can we can sort of separate those out. So I'm not sure where you want to start with Brunswick stew, but we could take a couple minutes. And- so I said Brunswick stew when you were on last time, and then within the instant yeah. chat, somebody said Brunswick stew. I think that's also known as Low Country Boil. So somebody who is yeah. in the Low Country. Is are these synonymous terms, or are they completely different? C- completely different. The only thing they have in common is that they are both uh, sort of single pot dishes, depending on how you cook them. A Brunswick stew is a is is one of the various classic barbecue stews, along with uh, hash and rice here in South Carolina, burgoo in Kentucky. It's a long, slow simmered stew with meats and and vegetables simmered over a fire originally for hours and hours on end until it just sort of breaks down. Uh, a low country boil, also known as frogmore stew, uh, also sometimes called uh, Beaufort stew, 
is a Low Country South Carolina creation, uh, not that old. It goes back, to, as far as I can tell, to about the 1960s, whereas Brunswick Stew goes back until the early 19th century. Uh, a Low Country Boil is a one-pot dish, but that's about all the only similarity it has to Brunswick Stew, and they both have corn in them. Uh, it's a seafood dish. It's actually really easy if you if you are making it. We do all the time here. You put a big pot of water on the boil. It takes about 20 minutes. You start at 20 minutes, you throw uh, potatoes in the, in the pot. You go a little while longer, you're about 10 minutes uh, in or 10 minutes left on your countdown, you throw in uh, some sausage, usually smoked beef sausage and maybe some onions. About eight minutes in, you throw in some corn. In the last five or so minutes, maybe three, you throw in a bunch of, sh of shrimp in the shell. And you just boil them. And, and then when the timer's up, you dump them all out, strain them. Uh, if you're doing it outdoors, they'll spread a big table with newspaper and just dump all the shrimp and the corn and everything. You just go to town, uh, ducking, uh, you know, peeling the shrimp, dunking it in cocktail sauce and eating it. Mm. So it's a, a quick cook stew. It's only 20 minutes tops. Uh, you can do it in a steamer basket. A lot of place, a lot of folks in the low country were also throw blue crab in there around minute 10 and steamed blue crab. And so you're breaking up, up crab. So it's very much a seafood stew, quick stew dating to the sixties. Whereas uh Brunswick stew goes, well back into the 19th century and has long been associated with, uh, with barbecue. Now, when I'm looking at a little bit of history of Brunswick stew, quickly I realize that there are two states specifically that are laying claim to Brunswick stew, Georgia and Virginia. Do you have yep. a reference on who should be laying proper claim? Yeah, it's uh, absolutely undisputed um, that Virginia is the origin uh, state of Brunswick stew. Um, there is a Brunswick County, Virginia, uh, south side of Virginia, down below Richmond. And then there's a, a city called Brunswick in Georgia. And because uh, the Brunswick stew has been around since the 1820s, at least, uh, it first started popping up in Georgia. Um, it gets a little complicated, but really not until the 20th century. And people just sort of stuck the label on it. Um, it a much longer story than that. Uh, I actually read a very in-depth piece on the complicated history of Brunswick stew for Southern living, if you want to get into the, the details of it. But no, uh, Brunswick stew is originated in Virginia as a uh, hunting stew, originally made with squirrel, uh, and along with corn, tomatoes, and various things over time, slow simmered. Brunswick stew in Georgia really wasn't called that until the, the, the 20th century. I have a theory that um, the Georgia's Brunswick stew actually evolved out of South Carolina's house, uh, hash and rice, which is a hog killing stew, totally different than a, a hunting stew. And over time, add some ingredients, added in and picked up the Brunswick name. Uh, if you want to get to the, the full details of that, we can either talk about it next time or folks can go, uh, I would just go Google complicated history of Brunswick stew. You'll find my Southern Living article. This sort of goes into great detail on that. Why do you see Brunswick stew associated with a lot of pretty big name barbecue restaurants. Like when I look at it, I'm I think if there's a Brunswick stew on a barbecue restaurant's menu, they're not selling a lot. They're not selling out of their barbecue meat and they need a way to repurpose what's left over. It's not going to be that good in it's regular form the next day. So they put it in a Brunswick stew. If you are in North Carolina, Virginia, maybe Tennessee, that that's a good bet. Uh, it is a way and, and, and increasingly other other places, but uh, increasingly there, that is a way to use up leftover barbecue. Uh, Georgia Brunswick stew, uh, most of the sort of classic restaurants that cook it, they're not reusing. They're starting with fresh meat. In fact, a lot of places in Georgia will start with beef 
like a like a, a beef round roast or something like that. Um, you know, but it's always fresh meat, pork shoulder that's then cooked long, low and slow in a pot and simmered down. So there's a big difference between taking fresh meat, cooking it long, low and slow until it sort of breaks down with a bunch of spices versus taking and dicing up cooked meat and sort of throwing it in. And you'll see that in the texture. The texture of a Georgia Brunswick stew is very thick. It's almost like a gravy. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas if you go up to North Carolina, it's almost like a, you know, a a stew with pork and and vegetables or a soup, I should say with, with pork and vegetables in it. Very, very thick. This is probably a very thick pieces of meat. This is probably a loaded question as we end the segment here, but is Virginia perhaps the most undervalued or underrated or underappreciated state as it relates to barbecue history? I would say Virginia with Georgia as a close second. Um, And it's sort of a chronological thing. There's a chapter or a section in my uh, barbecue history called Whatever Happened to Virginia Barbecue? Uh, And if you read the the, uh, Barbecue, the History of American Institution, I go into great detail about Virginia as the birthplace of barbecue. Um, it was it had a very strong barbecue tradition. You read about down in Texas in the 1850s and 1860s, uh, people cooking an old Virginia style barbecue. It was the birthplace of barbecue, really faded out in the 20th century. Um, fast forwarded toward the, around the turn of the 20th century, 1890s, Georgia was uh, the the hotbed of barbecue. All you know, everyone talked about old old timey Georgia style barbecue, et cetera. Now you a uh, hundred years later you have people writing articles, you know, is, such, is there such a thing as Georgia barbecue or is there such a thing as Virginia style barbecue? And maybe there isn't exactly any more. I, I, I think there is much more on the Georgia front. But yeah, Virginia uh used to have a very unique barbecue style, it has a long tradition. It's largely been forgotten, though it's still out there if you know where to look. And uh, I think Georgia's sort of on the same way as a lot of these old places like Fresh Air Barbecue and, and others are still lingering around, but a lot of a lot of places are are disappearing that used to cook the old Georgia style. And in Georgia, at least, Brunswick Stew is a classic part of the Georgia style of barbecue and has been for for a, a, you know over a century now. Robert Moss, the contributing barbecue editor to Southern Living Magazine and monthly guest right here on this show. Robert, always appreciate the great information, and we'll see you in June. Yeah, thanks, Greg. All right. If you didn't know about Brunswick Stew, now you know about Brunswick Stew. And did he say Frogmore Stew? Yeah, Frogmore Stew. Hash and rice, which was a hog-killing dish. Hog-killing. Watch out, hog. All right, let's get ready to wrap the first hour. We'll be back right after this. Stick around. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. And we thank Robert Moss for joining us last segment. RobertFMoss.com is his website. And if you missed it, you will get the podcast early in the morning tomorrow. We'll talk about all of that here in the second hour. Interesting to hear about how Virginia is an overlooked state, the birthplace of barbecue, and Texas is flipping their lid. We're the ones that came up with all this barbecue. Texas. 
But no, the history books would say otherwise. In fact, there was a guy who was a he was a large fan of this show. Maybe he still is. Joe Haynes out of Virginia who single-handedly tried to repurpose the spotlight back on Virginia as being the birthplace of barbecue here in this country. I think he wrote a book on it. Really big book. Might have won some awards. OC Barbecue, Obsessive Compulsive Barbecue was his website or blog, what he was running. Anyway, uh, we thank Meathead. We thank Robert Moss. We're pointing to the second hour, so refresh your libations. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. Be right back.